We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, is Justin Mello. And today, we are going to get into X-Factors and breakout candidates on the Titans' defense. So we're looking at the defensive side of the ball, X-Factors. Who are the guys that are going to make or break this Titans' season based on their performance? They could be really good, and the Titans' defense is good, or if they don't show up, they don't step up. Titans defense could struggle. We're going to get into all that as well as breakout candidates on the defensive side. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing well. We got uh, quite a bit to talk about today before we get into X factors on the defensive side of the ball. Unfortunately, Um, a pair of players got into some trouble that uh, it's unfortunate that we got to cover this at all, but it does have direct impact on the team um, with the first one probably being uh, more notable news. Yeah, um, I mean, I think... Or at least a more notable absence for the Titans offense. Yeah, yeah they're both going to be impactful. One is probably going to be a lot more impactful, so we'll start there. Titans starting right tackle, Nicholas Petitfrere, has been suspended for the first six games of the 2023 season for violating the NFL's gambling policy. Now, he didn't bet on NFL games, but he did place bets on other sports from the Titans facility and uh, look, you know, we were just laughing at the Colts cornerback, Isaiah Rogers, who they have now cut, by the way, since uh, the last time we spoke, for violating this policy, for being dumb enough to not understand the rules. Where does the blame fall? Before we start about how it impacts well, the Titans. Sorry. I'm just going to cut you off there real quick because I think Isaiah Rogers understood the rules. He bet on Colts games. <laughs> like, I think he knew he was not allowed to do that, right? It was It was something dumb. This is different, whereas, you know, NPF legitimately did not understand the rules. And oh, honestly, it's a stupid rule, right? Like he's allowed to bet on other sports when he's not within the team facility. It's dumb, right? It's confusing. It's muddied. Now, look, it sounds like I'm making an excuse. At the end of the day, it's on him to know the rules, especially when you're making so much money. It's a job you've got to take so seriously. He has to understand the rules. He didn't. The onus falls on him first and foremost. That doesn't mean it's not a stupid rule. It's a very stupid rule. Like if he steps outside the building, he could place a bet on the Memphis Grizzlies to beat the Dallas Mavericks. But if he's in the cold tub, you know, inside while he's doing it, that that makes it illegal, right? Or, or, you know, illegal by their rules, I should say. Not illegal because he actually mentioned that he even made sure that he was within sort of Tennessee laws, right, to place that bet. And he knew that it was legal in the state of Tennessee to place that bet. He just, he was unaware of the rule about being within the facility, it's very stupid. It's a stupid rule. He has to know it. This is unfortunate. He hurt himself and he hurt the team. Yeah, he hurt the team big time and, and himself too because, you know, he's going to lose a paycheck for those first six games. It's not like he's making a ton of money as a, a third-round pick last year. It's just interesting because when the Isaiah Rogers news came out a few weeks ago, Titans media were questioning Mike Vrabel like, "Have you? how do you think the education for players is going? And he kind of dodged the question. It makes me wonder how how long they knew this was coming, like how far back they knew. And I think they probably knew at the time of those questions that this was coming down the, the line at some point. So 
it's just interesting. Let's talk about how it affects the team because last week we recorded a, a YouTube exclusive video talking about three tackles the Titans should go sign because their depth wasn't good <laughs> enough. Because if one of these starting tackles, them being most likely projected Andre Dillard or NPF on the right side, if one of those tackles went down, who's going to step in? A, a below replacement level player. Well, now who's going to step in? They don't have anyone that is a proven even average level or even a, a little bit below average level player to step in and play tackle right now. As you mentioned last week, we're looking at an undrafted guy from either last year or this year. You're looking at moving a rookie first round pick, Peter Skaronsky, to a position that is not his natural position on the right side. He played left tackle in college. He's going to play left guard, most likely for the Titans. You probably don't move Andre Dillard over, even though he played a tiny bit of right tackle in his career. And then what kicks Skaronsky to left tackle and put someone else in? There is a chance that Daniel Brunskill, who has played a little bit of every position on the offensive line, could be the guy who kicks out to right tackle. And then you slide in a Corey Levin or a Jordan Roos or Jamarco Jones or somebody at, at right guard. Or one of those guys I just mentioned could play right tackle. Jamarco Jones has been a tackle. I don't know where they go from here if it is an in-house candidate to replace him because all those options sound bleh to me. I think you have to go back to the video we recorded last week and look at George Fant as the clear clear best option to come in and replace NPF at right tackle for the first six games. And if he plays well, you don't put NPF back in week seven. You know, you you keep George Fant in there. But George Fant's not even a Titan. So if they did go in-house, who's your top pick to replace to replace NPF? Well, well you mentioned about seven or eight in-house options, and none of them are, are good in all honesty. Right. Like, I don't even think they're going to – I'll give my opinion like this. I don't even think they're going to consider Dillard or Skaronsky. I think you can eliminate those two possibilities right now. Dillard will be at left tackle. Skaronsky stays at left guard. You mentioned Daniel Brunskill. I think he's actually got the most experience, which is sad, of all the options. I think he started, I believe, four NFL games at right tackle. Then you're looking at probably Corey Levin at right guard if you were to do that. Right. I still don't think that's the route the route they're going to go. I don't think they're going to kick Brunskill out of right guard. I, I think the, the plan is probably to keep him there. Look, gun to my head, <laughs> and I got to pick something. I don't want to pick anything, in all honesty, right? <laughs> Nothing in-house, at least. I probably tried Jamarco Jones there because he mm. was drafted to play tackle. He was a first-round pick. Um, it didn't go well for him at tackle to the point where they, you know, he ended up kind of saving, I think, his NFL career by making a move to guard and played, you know, league average, I would say, or maybe slightly below league average at guard for the Seahawks when he got opportunities there. But like, it's it's not going to be Jalen Duncan, you know, a sixth round rookie that played left tackle at Maryland. It's not going to be John Ajoku, a, a uh, you know, a first round, a first, sorry, a first year UDFA out of Boise State. It's not going to be Andrew Rupsich, a second-year UDFA out of Culver Stockton that I, I don't think probably makes the roster. If I again gun to my head, I got to choose an in-house option. It's it's probably Jamarco Jones, but um, they, they, there's just no way I think they can go into Week One. You can't even go into training camp. I don't think with the roster as is, like who gets first-team reps there, right? That would be interesting to monitor. I, I, I think they're going to sign someone before training camp starts. You still got about two and a half, three weeks. You talked about the YouTube video recorded. I, I think we're going to end up looking pretty smart because yeah. George Fant is the overwhelming top option. They've got enough money to sign him. He's played a lot of right tackle before. He started at right tackle last year for the Jets. 
we mentioned he's from nearby, I think Bowling Green, Kentucky native. It just makes so much sense. And I, I, I'd be pretty shocked if they don't go that route. Yeah, I agree with you about George Fant. I don't know that Jamarco Jones is my pick for right tackle just because I think you're looking at Kendall Lamb 2.0 if if you roll with Jones at tackle. I do think Jones could be the replacement, but I think Brunskill, as you mentioned, is just a little bit more experienced and would be a little bit more reliable to stick on the right side. And then Jones could play right guard, or you mentioned Corey Levin could play right guard. I think that is a probably a better option, but neither one is a good option. So it's not like I disagree with you. I just, I don't know. I I think my theory on George Fant is that a right now there's no rush because Titans aren't going to be together in the facility until late July. They have a few weeks here before they need to make a decision on this. Nothing's going to change between now and then. And they could be waiting to find out what happens with DeAndre Hopkins. We've heard a lot of reports lately that Hopkins, that the Patriots are suddenly the favorite. They are the betting favorites now to land Hopkins that, you know, Dalvin Cook could go there too and they could team up with New England. I don't know if I see that necessarily happening. But the Titan, there was also a report that the Titans still feel confident that they are in the mix or that they're even, you know, leading the mix to sign Hopkins. Once they have Hopkins money on the books, they have agreed to a deal. They'll know exactly how much cap space they have left, how much they want to save for a potential midseason signing or trade if somebody gets injured. So I think once Hopkins situation is settled and that's not going to happen until really close to training camp, if not into training camp, then I think the Titans might look to make another move. But they're going to be setting that salary aside. They could fit both. I I just think they want to know exactly how much money they'll have to dedicate to these two players if they do make a signing. So as much as I want George Fant to sign with the Titans, I don't think they're going to make that move until we have a resolution on Hopkins' situation. That's a good point. I I will add, we're recording this on Monday, July 3rd. Time's going to fly, man. I think the Titans report on Saturday the 22nd. Yeah. I think if I'm I'm mistaken. Uh, That's actually my birthday, by the way. So that'll be a fun... uh, I won't be in the country. I won't be in the country, but it'll be a fun day. Uh, the 22nd is when they're, that's 19 days from today of this recording. So time's going to fly, man. So, and you'd like to think, cross your fingers. I, I don't know that Hopkins is in a rush, but you'd like to hope he, he makes a decision right around then. Like he should be in camp with whatever team he decides to sign with. No more Jadavion Clowney nonsense, right? Where you're signing in, in August, mid-August, late August. You've got a week to learn the playbook, yada, yada. Albeit it's one he's probably fairly familiar with, given the history between him and Tim Kelly. You'd like to you – know, but you don't get to build chemistry with Ryan Tannehill because you know the Tim Kelly playbook, right? So you don't get to build chemistry with your, your teammates at, at receiver. So you'd like to see him make a decision uh, right around then or before then. And then that's a good point because it, it allows them to to know how much money they still have left over to play with, and that could impact what they do at right tackle. Right. So we'll see how this situation stand, uh, comes to be. You said that we'll track who's starting, you know, running first team reps at right tackle. It could still be NPF first team if they view him as the week seven and on starter, and you know this team views themselves as week a playoff eight, team. By the way, I didn't want to cut you off earlier, but they got a week seven bye which is that's right. interesting. So, cause I think they play week six in London against the Ravens week seven by, and then I think it's the Falcons in week eight. That's the first game he's eligible to play. Right. Okay. That's a good point. But regardless, if they see him as the week eight and beyond starter, then he might still get all the first team reps in training camp or at least be splitting them. So we'll look to see who he's splitting them with, or if someone else is, you know, taking them just outright, that'll be obviously a very big indication of who they're going to, what they're going to roll with on the offensive line, but they have some stuff to figure out because they didn't really try any other combinations with the first team with the right tackle situation. We know, you know, Skaronsky was playing left tackle with the second team and left guard with the first team, but 
Anyway, it's a mess, and, and NPF has really put the Titans in a hole because the offensive line was sort of the linchpin holding this whole Jenga offense together with all the young guys, all the skill position players being so young and, and unproven, and you're just kind of projecting that they can contribute and be you know reliable players on an explosive offense. But if the offensive line can't hold up, then those guys aren't going to shine at all, and none of it's going to matter. So whatever they figure out at right tackle, it needs to be a good solution for the first six weeks, and then you hope that... NPF can either come back or whoever is the right tackle is good enough to just stay there because it's not like, you know, NPF hasn't necessarily proven himself to be a starting caliber right tackle. It's hard to judge rookies, we know. But anyway, I think we should move on and talk about Hassan Haskins, who this one is just disgusting. He's been charged with with uh, domestic violence and assault after strangling his girlfriend, waving a gun around, brandishing a, a weapon. This is a disgusting story. We talked on our last podcast about Hassan Haskins' importance to you know, the special teams group and we're projecting the Titans depth chart. And we had Hassan Haskins as a surefire making the team underrated guy. Fans don't realize how important he is to special teams and how much Mike Vrabel values that. I think you can throw all of that out the window. If this goes to court, you cut this guy. I mean, I don't care how valuable he is to your special teams. He's not that important that you let this kind of violence slide. I think you get this guy off the roster as soon as we have, you know, confirmation from the, you know, the legal side that this is not you know, just some misunderstanding or whatever, which I don't believe it is at all. I am fully in favor of saying goodbye, Hassan Haskins. Go sign Josh Kalu that we talked about on YouTube last week as well to replace the special teams void and find another fourth running. But we we know they have Jonathan Ward in camp. They like him. They have an undrafted free agent that they like. There are other options to replace Haskins. This isn't Julius you know, Chestnuts back with them in camp. I believe exactly. As well. So I say, you know, if it's up to me, Hassan Haskins is gone and good job, dude, you just ruined your NFL career, and also you're a piece-of-shit human being. The details are super ugly. They're yeah. really, really ugly. I, I read the full report. Um, I, I think it was uh, Scoop Nashville that was first to report. Um, that They're really, really ugly. Like, I very, you know, the Titans haven't cut them yet, right, which I, I don't know if that's telling or not. As you said, they may be waiting for the legal side of things to play out. I, I am curious to see how they're going to handle this um, I guess they haven't been trigger happy when it comes to these decisions, like the Rashad Weaver stuff, right? They didn't cut Rashad Weaver, right? right? They let that whole thing play out um, and they and they brought him back, right? And he'll, and he'll be back again here in 2023. So I am curious to see how they handle it. Um, I'm sure Mike Vrabel is glad he probably doesn't have to answer questions about this for a couple of weeks because yeah. it's, it's the summer, quote unquote, the summer, um, right before training camp gets started here in a couple of weeks. I'm I'm with you on tipping Jonathan Ward to be the third running back. I, I think this, in my opinion, should ensure that he makes this roster. He made that great play in week 17 against Jacksonville. We probably talked about it too much, but it was a great <laughs> play. He's back with the team. He could play special teams as well. In fact, I, this probably means nothing. But if you go read his bio on Titans.com, it actually, what, what they wrote about him when they added him was, Jonathan Ward was signed to bolster running back depth and to play special teams. So he's a guy that they they think can play special teams. He did play a little um, in his short stint with the Titans last year. They brought him back this summer. On my initial 53-man roster projection, which is available to read now on Broadway Sports Media, I had him making the team as a fourth running back, and that may have qualified as a minor surprise. I think if I was doing a projection now, you know, post, you know, you know what you know, um, I'd probably only keep three backs and I'd have him. Um, as the number three back behind Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the case. Um, 
Cool. I think, you know, should we just get into X factors now? Defensive X factors here. This is, you know, I, I want to move on from this story because it's just appalling to even discuss. So uh, good riddance, Hassan Haskins, and let's move forward here. Um, defensive X factors and breakout candidates. So the defense is mostly intact from last season. There's a few new starters, but, you know, the free agents, they sign slot right in as starters. So Finding X-Factors and even finding breakout candidates on this defense is not as easy as it would be on the offensive side of the ball, I think. And we're starting with defense because we're going to have a guest on at the end of this episode who plays defense for the Titans, Sam Okawanu. We're going to, a YouTube video coming out this week, we're going to break down some plays uh, with Sam that he made on the Titans defense last year as a rookie undrafted free agent. So look out for that video coming later this week. But as we get into the X-Factors on defense here, again, not so straightforward Drop your X-Factors. If you're watching this on YouTube, drop your defensive X-Factors. Drop your breakout candidates in the comments below. I want to know what the people think because, honestly, as I look over this depth chart, the X-Factors to me are, like, pretty notable guys already. They're not necessarily X-Factors. And my first one that I'm going to throw out there is Harold Landry. And uh, Harold Landry is a very proven player on this Titans defense, but what he hasn't proven is that he can come back from a torn ACL and play at a high level. If Harold Landry is a Bud Dupree-style player coming off this ACL injury, if he's suffering things that Taylor Lewan suffered from when he came back from his ACL, this defense is going to look a lot different than if Harold Landry comes out and plays like the version of himself that we saw last time he was on the field when he had his first double-digit sack season, forming a tremendous, you know, force, fearsome foursome alongside Jeffrey Simmons and uh, Danico Autry and, you know, Bud Dupree who's no longer here. If... Harold Landry plays really high at a really high level. This Titans pass rush is going to be, you know, elite near tops in the league. If Harold Landry struggles with his explosiveness and can't stay on the field because he's got inflammation and swelling and whatever else comes with recovering from a torn ACL, it could be a rough year for this Titans defense because we've mentioned it before. The lack of depth, especially at the edge position, is uh, glaring. That's a great pick because I agree with everything you said, right? And it's that I think makes him the X factor. Right. That, that 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 summary because if he plays well and he's Harold Landry, he's pre-torn ACL Harold Landry, then this defense could fire on all cylinders, and that pass rush is going to be a handful to deal with alongside Jeffrey Simmons and Dina Coatry. If he is not healthy, if he is not, you know, the explosiveness, the change of direction, the swelling, the inflammation, all those things you mentioned, it, it, Rashad Weaver takes his place, right? And Rashad Weaver's not nearly as explosive of a player. I like Rashad Weaver's a DPR, you know, a designated pass rusher, rotational defender. Yeah. But I don't like him as an every down defender, a Harold Landry replacement. Remember, Harold Landry drops in coverage. Harold yeah. Landry plays 100% of defensive snaps when he's on the field. You think Rashad Weaver's going to be doing that for them, dropping in coverage and all the things? Uh, the, remember when he played slot corner? We <laughs> joked about he had like five snaps at slot corner. Like, they don't have anyone else that can do these things. And they missed them a lot last year, in all honesty. The defense still played well last year, but they missed them, right? And they asked a lot of Dina Coatry, and he eventually got hurt, you know, midway through the season. And maybe that's not a coincidence, right? right? That that Autry, uh, Autry's body gave out towards the midway point of the year, that Packers game, right? It was the last one he played, I think, until week 18. Um, that makes Landry the X factor. And I'm glad you said that because before you brought him up, in all honesty, I don't want to say I was dreading this conversation, but I feel like when you're having a conversation about a defensive X factor, you should be able to pick one and single him out. And I've got like nine. Yeah. Like, I, in all honesty, like I, I was having a hard time bringing one up because I look at inside linebacker and I think of Monty Rice and Aziz Shire, right? And I think of Jack Gibbons potentially getting into that mix. Heck, when I look at edge, I want to bring up Arden Key. 
Yeah. Because when I look at Arden Key's NFL career, was drafted, I think, was it the Raiders coming out of LSU? Right. He went a little later, right? Like, there was a while, I remember that pre-draft process. Early on, you were talking about a potential first-round pick based on just um, sort of the, the core values and skills that he brought to the table. But I, I think there was some off-field immaturity Yeah, there was some issues marijuana issues. Way back when. He got, he got caught smoking marijuana right. and ended up going oh, third oh round. Oh, boy. Oh, no, yeah. How how dare he, right? I know, 27 right? NFL. We're, we're, me and you are both now in, in, well, you're in a state. I'm in a province uh, <laughs> where it's legal to smoke marijuana now, right? So it's like, but anyway, um, he slipped to the third round. The Raiders career never really got off, right, to this, the start that you thought it would. And he ends up, you know, kind of recapturing that those expectations in Jackson, uh, sorry, San Francisco first in 2021 played really well there. I then played well in Jacksonville in 2022. I've probably said this before, but the biggest difference between that and now um, is he was kind of a rotational D lineman with those teams, right? Exactly. San Francisco was super deep on the DL. They have been for a long time. So he kind of came in, you know, third down, played a rotational role. Go look at the snap counts from Jacksonville last year. It was similar. They don't have a ton of talent up there, but he was in a rotational role. You know, behind Josh Allen, they had a number one overall pick in Trayvon Walker. They had a couple other guys that got into the mix there. Now he's being counted on to start again, right, opposite Harold Landry. And if if the Landry thing doesn't go well, he's your number one edge rusher, right? So to me, Arden Key's a big-time X factor on this defense as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a great point there, mentioning how he he's going to be stepping into a larger role. That's what makes him an X-factor here is can he handle that every down role? And there you go. The two edges for the Titans are the two X-factors because, again, there's no depth behind them. If those guys don't step up and play at a high level, the defense is going to suffer. However, if they play at a high level, this could be a very, very good defense. I'll throw out another X-factor, and this one to me is is obvious. Um, to the point where I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but Christian Fulton and his X-Factor status is more about health than than level of play because we know when he's healthy and he's playing out there, he's going to be a, a solid corner, if not a great corner. But if he's not healthy, who steps in to play for him? Is it Elijah Molden moving from back from safety to corner? Is it Trey Avery, a, a former UDFA, stepping into the mix? I don't really know where you go if Christian Fulton gets hurt. And again, the lack of depth on this team is is a glaring issue, but... Christian Fulton, to me, got to stay healthy. If he does, we're looking at a secondary that could be very good. If he doesn't stay healthy, you know, can Caleb Farley contribute anything? Like, that's those are the questions we're going to be asking. And and that, to me, is scary. Well, yeah. The que- does Christian Fulton play 12 games again? Or does he play 14, 15, 16? I think if he plays 14-plus, you chalk that up as a W and say he largely stayed healthy. Right. If he misses two or three games, not the end of the world, it's avoiding missing five, six, seven games like he has. Right. And that that does make him an X factor. But it's funny. It goes back to the point I made earlier that I've got nine X factors because when you brought him up just now and I I knew you were about to bring up a corner the way you led into it. I thought you were going to say Roger McCreary or Sean Murphy bunting because those were the names I was going to bring up as X factors. Right again, Roger McCreary playing more than 1,100 snaps last year, playing inside and outside as much as he did. 600 some snaps outside, I think nearly 400 snaps at the nickel. Um, where do they see him moving forward? Are they going to keep moving him inside outside like that? Do they want him to lock down the boundary this year, or is he playing uh, the nickel? I think you brought up the idea of it being Sean Murphy bunting opposite Fulton in two corner sets when everyone's healthy on the outside, and then maybe he kicks to the nickel and McCreary takes his spot outside. When they, when they go to three corners, Dory McCreary plays the nickel, of course, and you keep 
Murphy Bunting on the outside. There are so many options. The two of them together, how they're going to intertwine, both being versatile defensive playmakers, versatile secondary players, that to me makes them X-Factors. And Sean Murphy Bunting's in his first year with the team. And Roger McCurry's a sophomore that's expected to showcase growth in year two. Right, so all those factors alone makes the two of them X factors, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Do you have any more X factors, or do you want to move on to breakout candidates? Because to me, like the inside linebackers are are X factors too. But it's like again, it's just on that conversation. It's an obvious point where there's so many unproven players with the Monty Rice's and the free agent signings. How are they going to fit that? With Monty Rice, we don't know. Can he step into a starting role? With Aziz Alshire, can he seamlessly transition into a starter on this defense, also taking on a larger role than what he had at his previous stop in San Francisco? So it's sort of the same story for all these guys that we're discussing. And if you have anyone else, please share, or otherwise we'll move on to breakout candidates. No, I think we're good to move on to breakout candidates because I think I mentioned the nine names of the Monty Rice's, the Harold Landry's, the Yard. Like I mentioned all nine names really that I wanted to mention. So uh, I'm curious to see who you're going to choose to be your breakout candidate. Well, I think there's one that is a, that stands out to me a little more than the rest, and then we'll get into some sort of deeper sleeper type of guys. But to me, it is Roger McCreary, just because he's transitioning from a rookie to a second-year player. We historically see like the moment that a, a player, you know, whatever they are in their second year, is generally a version of who they're going to be for the rest of their career. Rookie year, you know, they have all the other. Things going on, moving to a new city, learning a new team, teammates, coaches, playbooks, everything that comes with being a rookie, even just the offseason process of getting ready for the draft versus getting ready for you know the rigors of an NFL season. Now McCreary enters his second year. He has a ton of experience under his belt for a second-year cornerback as he just you know talked about how many snaps he played last year, how many different positions he played. If he can take a leap, I mean, he's the real only real breakout candidate because the rest of the starters on defense are kind of set. Monty Rice, I guess you could throw into this mix as well. But to me, Roger McCreary is the clear and obvious breakout candidate on this Titans defense. That doesn't necessarily mean I think he will break out. He's just the guy that has the best chance, you know, opportunity meets level of play that we've seen before to be that guy to break out this year. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a he's a he's a suitable choice, right? I, I've said this before, but I haven't said it in a long time, so you probably don't remember. But <laughs> uh, I can't say enough good things about what he did for them as a rookie because I don't think you realize how much they put on his plate, like how, how difficult it is to ask a rookie, a second round pick, to play inside and outside for you. He played like ninety nine point five two percent of their defensive snaps last year. That is wild for a second-round corner to play two different positions on a, a good defense. And, and look, he gave up some things, right? He got picked on on occasion, the short arms, whatever, you know, the negatives uh, that the people brought up throughout the pre-draft process. It did flash on occasion. He wasn't perfect, right? He wasn't a lockdown, shutdown corner. But I think all things considered, how much they put on his plate, I think he was really good, and I think it speaks volumes of his football IQ, his ability to be versatile, his ability to learn on the fly, that Mike Vrabel trusted him with so much. And I know they had some injuries, and you might say, oh, they didn't have a choice. You always have a choice, right? Yeah. They could have gone out and signed a veteran guy. They could have played Caleb Farley more when he was healthy on the team, right? They could have there, – there, there were other options, right, things they could have considered. No, they trusted Roger McCreary to go out there and play every down for them, so – I think he is an apt choice to be a breakout candidate, but I do want to show love to Monty Rice. I know you brought him up briefly. I'm excited about what he's going to do this year. I really think he's going to play good football. I thought he played well last year when he was in the lineup. You know, year two for him, 
he he missed portion of year one with injury. He missed the portion of last year with injury. So it's a little it's similar to the Christian Fulton conversation where he's got to be a bit healthier um, than he's been. It's maybe not as glaring as the Fulton issue because with Fulton, he was starting right and missed time. And Rice was coming in as a backup, missed a little time, wasn't as obvious. You didn't care about it as much in all honesty, right? But, you know, he was playing behind David Long, Zach Cunningham last year. They both got hurt. I thought when he did have an opportunity to play, he played well. For me, he should be an unquestioned starter heading into this year. I thought he showed a lot of strides in coverage. I think that was the question on him coming out of Georgia. I thought he played pretty okay in that area. And I think he's a, a, a damn good um, you know, downhill run defender as well. Yeah. So that that that's really that was his calling card coming out of college. I think he's gotten better um in coverage as well, better than I expected him to be when I revisit what my pre-draft scouting report said about him. So I'm excited for him. This is a big opportunity. I think he's ready to grab it by the horns. I, I actually um spoke to him and spoke to some of his people recently. And uh, the the first thing he said to me is I, I'm not satisfied with how last year went. I, I think I can be a lot better and I plan on, on on being so this year. So I'm excited to see what Monty Rice does this year. Nice. And we know our buddy James Foster at No Flags Film on Twitter is a, a big fan of Monty Rice as well. Calls him one of the more underrated players. And he's done a lot of film study. So I like that pick as well. I'm going to go with a deeper name here. And this one I'm excited to talk about because we are going to talk to him on this episode in a little bit. Sam Okawanu. This is another, you know, case of opportunity plus potential growth. I think the fact that we've talked about how limited the edge depth is, he got to play some some key snaps, you know, rotating in on the edge last year, made a few good plays. I think he has a chance if, you know, Harold Landry has to take some plays off because of the recovery from his ACL. If Arden Key needs, you know, to not step into a full-time starting role right away or even just getting in on the rotation at the defensive edge position. Rashad Weaver's got, you know, some off-field legal issues. He's still sorting out as well. You mentioned the top of the show. I think Sam Okawanu has a chance to get in there. And if he can take advantage of that, he could break out not as like a superstar, you know, Pro Bowl defensive end type of player, but a guy who can sort of like a DeAndre Walker last year who can come in in there and get, you know, four to six sacks, make some big plays in key moments and be a name that, Titans fans at least know, even if he's not a recognized NFL household name, you know, amongst the whole country. But I think this is a guy that he has a chance to break out this year. So he's on my list of breakout candidates. Well, I love that you bring him up and, and not just because we're about to have him on the pod. But if you look at this roster and, 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 and call it a setup, call it whatever you want. Look at this roster. Let's have an honest conversation about it. Why is he not your in-house favorite? And I ask this, it's a rhetorical question because I know he is yours. Why is he not your in-house favorite to be the number four edge rusher on this team? Right. Right. Who are you putting ahead of him? UDFAs, Caleb Murphy, a guy that played D2 last year. Thomas Rush, an undersized, try-hard outside linebacker out of Minnesota that might not have the size, in all honesty, to, to hold up on the edge um, in the NFL, he might be more of an off-ball linebacker, special teams guy, and 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 most listeners of the podcast probably don't know a lot about Thomas Rush anyway, right? So yeah. it's like, who is your in? Who else? Who am I missing? Is there anyone like Otis Reese? Maybe. Yeah. Like this, like this guy actually played football for them last year. Sam O did and had had a sack, right. right? Yeah. Like he he was initially on the practice squad, just missed out on the fifty three man roster, made the practice squad. He was playing professional football by the time the month of October rolled around. They like him. They trust him. They brought him back. I think he should be the in-house favorite right now to make the 53-man roster as the number four guy behind Landry, Key, and uh, and Rashad Weaver. Yep, I agree. Any other breakout candidates on defense before we wrap up this episode? I'm excited. I mean, I don't want to, you know, say a whole lot about it because I wasn't going to let you wrap up there, but I'm excited to get Elijah Molden back. 
in yeah. this defense. They missed him so much last year. He was so good as a I mean, maybe so good. Maybe we got the two-tone glasses on, but he was pretty damn good as a rookie, right? Like, yeah, he gave up some big plays on occasion. That 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 hurt the overall numbers, but he was good. He was extinctual. He played multiple positions. He created turnovers. He was everything he was at Washington, and I loved him coming out of Washington. Yeah, High football IQ guy that created turnovers, always in the right place at the right time. Right. Really good, smart player. He talked recently about he, he tried to come back too quick from injury last year. Right. Ended up re-injuring himself. It was a recurring groin injury. He just never got past. Excited to have him back. He, he could you know what? He could be a breakout candidate and an X factor yeah. for this defense, because um, if he's healthy, uh, I think he absolutely plays his way onto the field as a rookie. Wasn't he playing 100 percent of snaps? By the time he got himself into the starting lineup, that's how important he was to that defense as a rookie. And that was a really good defense, right, in, in yeah. 2021. So I'm really excited to get Elijah Molden back. Yeah, and he could break out as a safety or just like a defensive back who plays all over, you know, sort of Swiss Army knife style guy. I'm going to throw one last name out there before we wrap up very quickly. Trey Why Avery. Not? Let's do it. I just think Trey Avery has uh, is also in a position where he could be pushed into action, much like he was last year. But similar to Roger McCreary, he's not going through all the rookie stuff now. He could be a guy that is, you know, sort of that rotational corner that doesn't kill you when he comes in. And if he makes a few plays here and there for his standards, I think that would be considered breaking out. I don't necessarily think he becomes a starter this year or anything, but he has a chance to prove himself as more than just the sixth cornerback that you hope never has to see the field this year. This is why you and I are always in sync. Did you even know that I had something with Trey Avery coming soon? I did not. I've got some fun with Trey Avery coming down the pipeline. I can't wait for everyone to see. Um, you know, he only allowed 56% of targets thrown his way to be completed last year. It's good numbers, man. He came and they threw this guy into the fire. Were man. they all against Stefan Diggs last year? <laughs> they might have been in a lot. That, look, that, talk about what I was about to say. They threw this guy into the fire. That was week two. Yeah. He was a UDFA. That was prime time in Buffalo. Week two. A UDFA corner out of Rutgers. They asked him to cover Stephon Diggs. That one didn't go according to plan, but he got so much better as the year went on. Right? Trey Avery. They asked him to cover the Philly game, I want to say. They asked him to cover A.J. Brown on yeah. occasion, right? Like, And those were two rough outings for him. They were. There's no way around that. And he still only allowed QBs to complete 56% of the throws they attempted his way. He played good quality football last year. He really did better than you think he did. I like that shout because I, I think I've said this. They don't have a lot of guys that can play the boundary. We talk about Christian Fulton injury uh, concerns, issues, Trey Avery. If he's out, Trey Avery might be a starter. Yeah. And yeah, you, maybe you've got Roger McCurry and Sean Murphy bunting Elijah Molden. That's a small lineup, man. If you're going to play all three of those guys at the same time, that's, I almost guarantee that never happens. Even if Fulton goes down hurt, Trey Avery is going to play football for this team this year. Yeah, and I'm surprised, you know, as we wrap this up, that neither one of us mentioned Caleb Farley to be an X-Factor or a breakout. I think that just shows how far he's fallen because, like, remember how high we were on him as a draft prospect? We both said the Titans I should draft him. him. We both predicted the Titans would draft him. We took him, both of us yep. took him in our dueling mock drafts that year. And, man, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And even when healthy last year, him. he was just not good. So, I don't know, maybe he, like, should be the the asterisk like honorable mention for both categories here but i just like i've got to see it before i pick him to do anything yeah. this year all right i'm in full see it to believe it territory i've got no no you know realistic hopes yeah, in all same. honesty all right we are thrilled now to be joined by titans defensive end sam Aquanu. we're going to break down a couple plays sam thanks for joining us how's it going today 
Going great, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy to be here. Sam, when I think of your rookie season, man, and I appreciate you joining us today, when I think of your rookie season, you know, onto the practice squad, correct me if I'm wrong, you played more interior at Maryland, right? So they yeah, asked you to I come mean, in and switch positions, yeah. right? Play DM, play outside yes, linebacker, play on the edge. Yes, so you're, you're, you're on the practice squad. You're playing pro football by October at a yeah. different position that you did not play at Maryland. Yes, so that's what sticks out to me. That's what's most impressive. Talk to me a little about that acclimation period you went through. Oh, man. Um, I feel like, you know, what really helped me out a lot was the coaching staff, man. You know, uh, Coach T, you know, he really helped me on uh, understanding football, you know, kind of like at the, you know, just get more in-depth about understanding the football. But, I mean, even at Maryland, they had played me inside and outside. But you're right, I mostly played on the inside of Maryland, man. So, you know, when I first got here, you know, to the tie-ins, it was more of a, you know, three-tech on third down. You know, might be might play, you know, on the edge a little bit in our base defense, but we didn't really play a lot of base. So when it was third down, it was mostly on the inside. You know, and uh, that was all throughout the preseason. And uh, you know, when they called me up to, you know, when they called me up to be on the active roster, you know, they saw me as an outside linebacker, and you know, I was excited because that's really what I wanted to play. You know, my whole life really just be on the edge and playing outside linebacker. So you know, when I finally got an opportunity, man, it was just like, okay, you gotta learn fast. You gotta because the NFL is like everything is already hard enough in this switch position. So I really had to, you know, put an extra time into the playbook and watching pass rushers really rushing up the edge and, you know, switching my mentality from an interior rusher to, like a, you know, being like an edge rusher because it's completely different, man. It's a whole different world out there. So, you know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a grind, man. It's been a blessing, man. But honestly, honestly, like, I feel like, you know, I feel like I feel really good this year, man. I feel feel healthy and coming back, you know, with year or two with some experience, man, trying to establish myself even more as an edge rusher, trying to, you know, show that, you know, I'm someone who can be productive in this league and have a long career, man, really. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about going into year two here because we've we've discussed earlier today, you know, a few minutes ago, we were listing our breakout candidates and talking about the difference between being a rookie and being a second year guy and the difference between preparing for the draft and preparing your body for the rigors of an NFL season. And we have you pegged as one of our defensive breakout candidates this year. So talk to me a little bit about what your offseason has been like compared to last year and why you think you're ready for a larger role in year two. Man, all season, man, it's just been it's been more on the mental side, believe it or not. Like I've been running and stuff. I've been watching a lot of tapes, man. I've been watching a lot of tapes of like pass rushers and you know, seeing like who fits my playing style, who I was like to see white body style to me, you know, what move works for me, and then watching guys who work that who uses that move a lot. You know, I've been watching a lot of guys like Max Cross because he likes the spin move and Yannick Ngakwe because you know he likes to cross top and you know, just trying to see, you know, how they set it up against certain, like, pass rushes, man, because I feel like that's, like, you know, really what people don't, like, understand, man. It's like when you get to the NFL, it's like you really got to study your opponent because not everybody, you know, pass set the same on offense and not everybody have the same stand. So, you know, not everybody punches the same on offense. So, you know, just, like, seeing the different type of sets and in, in offensive, uh, you know, offensive and how they, how they like, pass rush, uh, pass protection and, you know, just learning more in depth about football, you know, like what like the general concept is, is of what they're trying to accomplish, you know, 
And uh, that's really what I've been focusing on this offseason, man, just working pass rush moves. Pass rush has been like, the sacks as you pay, you know? Stopping the run is great. But at the end of the day, you know, sacks <laughs> as you pay. So, yeah, man, just watching different pass rushes, man, studying them, you know, seeing how I can use their game to implement in my game and, you know, just improve myself. That's great. Sure. And you talked a little about, you know, football IQ and acclimating to playing edge versus D tackle for our, for our viewers of the show that are listening to this and they're listening to this podcast right now, uh, make sure they head over to the YouTube and watch the video of you breaking down the sacks. Cause I want to tie those two things in together. Cause when you were breaking down those plays, the first thing that popped into my head was football IQ, right? You talked about how the tackle was oversetting you right in that, in that Denver game, or you talked about knowing where you had inside help and how you, you know, forced Russell Wilson to change direction because you knew where your help was. You knew what your assignment was. Talk to me a little about that football IQ. And you said, it sounded like you said it was like, you know, coach Mike Vrabel and coach T helped you develop that as a rookie. Yeah, man, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. The coaching staff at, I feel like the coaching staff at the Titans, man, is like seconds to none, man. I feel like they're just, as far as like, you know, how like to mentally prepare you, man. I remember, not even I remember doing our team meetings, we'd they'd be asking us questions and stuff over our assignment. So like you always have to be prepared. You always have to be on your toes and know what to do. But yeah, Coach uh, Coach T and uh, Coach Raven, uh, Coach Crow, my outside linebacker, man, uh, my outside linebacker coach, they've helped me so much just understanding football on a more general level, you know, and not just like knowing your assignment and knowing what to do, but like also knowing what, what everybody else is doing. Cause if you know what everybody else is doing, you know how you fit in the scheme too. So, you know, and uh, I just feel like that's just something I've been trying to improve on just learning football in a more conceptual like way. And I just focusing on my one position and what I got to do, you know, I want to know what everybody else is doing. Cause that's going to make me, you know, take my game to the next level, you know, cause I know where all my helps are and how I can use that to my advantage. You know what I mean? Sam, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. We're going to close out with one last question here. Do you have any goals this season, whether it's personal goals or team goals that you're looking forward to accomplishing in 2023? Man, my goal is to make the team, man. Make the team and be a, a major contributor or contribute in any way, shape I can, man. And, you know, I feel like the stats and everything else is going to speak for itself. It's going to let itself play out, you know. I'm just coming in every day, just working as hard as I can, trying to earn me a spot on this team and earn me. I mean, roster spot, man, because that's all I can do, just work hard, you know. But I'm excited, man, honestly. I feel great, man. The mental is great. I feel like year one, it's a lot of uncertainties, man. You live a lot of stress. But you know, year two, you know, you kind of feel like a, you get the vibe, you get the feeling of, you know, how it's, how it's like in the league, and, you know, how it, it kind of slows down a little bit, you know. Kind of get a feel where you are, you know, within your program and, yeah, and uh, I feel like you know, I'm in a good spot. You know, I feel like the Titans have supported me, you know, throughout everything. They've always been, you know, how I can improve. And they've been helping me out a lot. Even nutritionists, they helped me lose some weight, cutting weight down. I haven't been this light in a very long time, you know, getting back down to 265, man. I was like at 280 last season. So, you know, it's been great, man. It's all season been a lot of working, a lot of watching tapes, man. And, you know, the goal is to come out with a bang. Yes, sir. We're, awesome. we're excited to monitor that first step explosiveness at 265, man. It's going to look a lot sir. different at training camp, which yes, is two sir. and a half weeks away, man. We're excited for you, Sam. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Thank taking you. the time, Sam. Good luck this season. We're rooting for you. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Sam Aquanu for joining us there. That was great stuff. I mean, talking about the mental side of the game, watching pass rushers, getting his weight down, calling the Titans coaching staff the one of the best at, you know, preparing their players mentally. Second to none, he said. 
Yeah. So I think, I mean, I'm really excited for him this year. His goal, he said, is to make the team. That's a great goal to have. I think he's going to do that, you know, fairly easily. And I'm excited to see what he can do out, you know, on, when he gets some some opportunities on the field. I feel good about him as well, man. Thanks to him for joining us. Like I said, uh, I see no reason why he shouldn't be the number four pass rusher. We'll be monitoring that battle, right? Caleb Murphy, Thomas Rush, some of the guys I mentioned earlier. But he should be the in-house favorite. He's got experience with this staff. He knows this defense. Um, he was productive at times on the field for them last year. He's been through a training camp. He's been through uh, a, a rookie season. He's been through preseason, all of those things. I think gives him a bit of a leg up, right, fairly, on, on the UDFA D linemen who are trying to accomplish the same thing. So uh, best of luck to Sam. Excited to see what he does this year. Absolutely. I, I fully agree with that. All right. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening and for watching. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure you subscribe to this channel. We're going to be dropping our, our full podcast episodes here every week, as well as a collection of exclusive YouTube video breakdowns, three to five, maybe eight minutes on the long side, but going to keep them a little bit shorter, hitting some, some, you know, very specific points. So make sure you're tuned into the YouTube channel for that and drop a comment below. The best way to help us grow the new channel is to comment on all of our videos. So comment below who are the Titans X factors on defense and in a separate comment, who are the Titans breakout players on defense? We really appreciate all you guys out there. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans film room. Make sure you go back in the YouTube feed. Check out the top three tackles video we posted because the Titans are likely going to sign one of those guys, especially now that NPF has been suspended for six games. BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Look, I'm wearing the shirt. Broadway Sports. Check out Justin's uh, projected 53-man roster. It's up there now. It's a great pairing to listen to our previous podcast, our projected depth chart. Those two articles, that article and that podcast go together very well. So check that out as if you haven't already. We will be back later this week with some more videos. We got Sam Okwanu coming on to break down some of his best plays. And we're going to be picking over the next several weeks, I guess, leading up into training camp. Justin and I are going to be picking our award winners, the 2023 AP NFL Awards. I'm talking MVP, Coach of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year. All those videos are going to be coming out soon, so make sure you're tuned in and subscribed to the YouTube channel so you get a notification. We passed our goal. Remember last week we mentioned we were trying to hit 100 subscribers? We did it. Now we're trying to hit 1,000. That's a lot more, so we need your guys' help out there. Subscribe to this channel to help us and comment on the video below. All right, that'll do it. Until next week, until later this week on YouTube, next week for the podcast, we'll be back with Titans Offense X-Factors on our next podcast, so stay tuned for that. And until then, you all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.